less than two months ago, in October of my senior year, my life was fully on track. I was living in Chicago, editor-in-chief of the school paper, applying early decision to my dream school, Northwestern. Two of my best friends plan on staying local too, so we were already dreaming about getting an apartment together. And then, one disaster after the other. I was fired from the paper, waitlisted at Northwestern, and informed by my parents that dad's job was transferring him back to company headquarters, which meant returning to my hometown of Sturgis, Massachusetts, and moving into the house my parents had been renting to my uncle Nick since we'd left. It'll be a fresh start, mom said, conveniently forgetting the part where I'd been desperate to leave four years ago. That's a quote from Nothing More to Tell by Karen M. McManus. This is Why A Book Chat, and I'm your host, Leah Stuhler. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Why A Book Chat. Thank you so much for being here and for listening and for your continued support. Today, I am excited to bring you another fantastic author interview. We are going to be talking about another crime thriller you guys i have been doing multiple of these recently because i've really gotten into them and they are fabulous so i'm excited to bring you this brand new book called nothing more to tell and it's by karen mcmanus and it was just released in august and karen herself is here to chat with me about it today Karen is the New York Times bestselling author of the book One of Us is Lying, which is also a television show on both Peacock and Netflix. She has also written One of Us is Next, Two Can Keep a Secret, The Cousins, and also the author of You'll Be the Death of Me. Her books have been translated into more than 40 languages, and it is very exciting to have her here today. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, you're welcome. Um, Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I write young adult thrillers. Um, My debut book, which came out in 2017, is One of Us is Lying. That has since been turned into both a book series, because now there are uh, two more books, one that's already out and one that's coming, also a television series. And I've also written multiple standalone novels. Very nice. What was it that kind of that drew you to write YA suspense thrillers? You know, it was never a conscious decision, I would say. Um, I got inspired to try writing again. I, I used to love writing as a kid and a teen, but I gave it up um, when I was in college. I didn't think it was a career that I could actually do. Uh, and I didn't do it. I did other things. And then I was on a business trip. And I didn't have anything to read cross country. So I went to the airport bookstore and I picked up the Hunger Games and I just got really inspired. Um, for the first time in a long time, I wanted to create something. I wanted to write something and I wrote, you know, sort of a bad dystopian knockoff of the <laughs> Hunger Games because that was what I was excited about at the time. Um, and it was the first thing I had finished as, as an adult. Um, and it was really fun. And I didn't know it was bad. I queried it. Nothing happened. Um, I wrote another book, which was better, but still not great. And that was kind of like contemporary fantasy. So I was just all over the place. And then I was just writing things that I liked or that I thought, you know, maybe the market would like. And fantasy in particular is not something it doesn't play to my strengths. But I thought, well, that's what's selling now. So maybe I'll try it. That didn't sell. 
Um, and then I just got the idea for one of us is lying. And I think it was just kind of, you know, a, a lot of things worked out in that it was a, a good idea that was easy to communicate. My skills were better. The thriller category wasn't um, flourishing as much then as it is now, but it was like solid enough. You know, there were definitely editors and agents who were interested in that. So, you know, that's the book that sold. And ultimately, that is now what I write, but it could have gone differently if any of those other books had sold. Yeah. And I would definitely say these thriller novels are definitely really big recently um, because I've had so many of them <laughs> come across my yeah, email yeah. recently, like, here, take a look at this and this. And I'm like, I have never even, I had never, you know, before this even read one. So, and now all of a sudden there's a ton of them sitting in my lap. So, but they're great. It's a really fun genre and they're fun to read, uh, especially you know, as the reader, you're trying to kind of figure out the mystery and the whodunit right. along with the, the characters. So makes it very intriguing. I do want to take a minute and talk about your first book, One of Us is Lying, because that was your very your first, you know, uh, like you just said, your first one that got accepted and it became huge. And now it's also a TV show and a series. So what has it been like for you having just that very first one be so big so quickly? Yeah, it's pretty surreal. I mean, as a brand new author, you just don't know if your book is going to find its audience because a lot of really good books don't. And there's no good reason why they don't. It's just how publishing works. And so I really didn't have many expectations. And it just became, I like to call it a unicorn book. Like everything it did, it was sort of magical and surprising and unusual. Like it wasn't the bestseller right away, but word of mouth, you know, four months mm -hmm. after, excuse me, four weeks after it came out, got it onto the New York Times bestseller list and then stayed there. It's been almost five years at this point, which is wild. Um, you know, it was optioned for TV. And when books are optioned for TV, a lot of times they don't make it onto mm -hmm. the screen because it's a very long and difficult process. And again, it has nothing to do with the quality <laughs> of the book. It's just a hard process. And this one made it. Um, so it, it was a really unusual start. You know, it, it allowed me to become a full-time author, which is not something I ever thought that I could do. It gave me an audience that has been excited to see more books from me. Um, so, so it was a huge gift. Um, it really was. Yeah, that's, it's just so fantastic to be able to do that. And there are so many books that, you know, I've read where it's like, this would be a really great movie or TV show. But yeah. like you said, I mean, there are just so many of them that don't make it because it is a difficult industry. So um, it's fantastic when, you know, I see authors like yourself who get to have something that's picked up, you know, fairly quickly. I mean, in comparison to other things, I know it's still a long process, but yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, so I'm seeing your bookshelf behind you and y'all, you can't see this, but she's got the most fabulous bookcases with all these amazing book titles on it. So I see you've got some Agatha Christie back there. Has, yeah. has Agatha Christie books or maybe other kind of mystery or thriller type authors been an inspiration and helped you as you've been writing? Oh, absolutely. And I think the book that you see, I think that's the Marple anthology um, that just came out. And I actually contributed a short story to that. Oh, nice. Um, there were 12 mystery authors who were invited by the Agatha Christie estate to write the first new Miss Marple stories um, since Agatha Christie passed away. So that was a huge honor. And I was really excited to do it um, because, yeah, I think I've read everything Agatha Christie has ever written. 
Um, and one of us is lying was, was very loosely inspired by a couple Christie books. One is, and then there were none because it mm-hmm. has like that unknown antagonist, um, toying with the main characters. And the other is the murder on the Orient Express because everybody who's a suspect has a really strong motive. Um, and it, Christie is just amazing like that. You know, she has mm-hmm. these incredible plots and they're hard to solve and, Every time they're hard to solve, like you think you yes. understand her her whole you know style and that you will figure it out, and you still don't. So yeah, I'm a I'm definitely a fan of her mystery plots. I agree. I started reading her books I think when I was in high school, and they just so draw me in every single one. They're so fantastic, and yeah, you can never figure it out. Never. Like it's always. I'm like. I don't know how you did that, but it's really, yeah. really amazing. <laughs> he does it over and over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. such a prolific author with such a creative mind. Yes. Well, why don't you tell everyone what uh, your newest book, Nothing More to Tell, is about? Yeah. So Nothing More to Tell is the story of a teen journalist. Her name is Bryn, and she investigates the cold case murder of her favorite teacher, Mr. Larkin who was bludgeoned to death in the woods behind their school, St. Ambrose, four years ago. And his body was found by three students, three of Bryn's classmates, including her former best friend, Tripp. So now Bryn is back in town. She's interning for a true crime show. And she she's really looking also to kind of redeem herself because she had a rough go of it in her school. Um, you know, her journalistic integrity was called into question through a prank. Um, and so she really wants to prove herself and she pitches this story to her new boss. Um, and it's not immediately accepted. You know, she's a kid, they're busy. Um, but eventually they do get to the point where they're taking this show on or they're taking this story on in the show. And it's, it's, such a great story. There's so many different elements to it and different things that come into play. And I will say um, her <laughs> her poor experience that you mentioned where her journalistic integrity, that prank that was like, it was a good one, but poor thing, man. You know, yeah. you always got to give them, a, you know, an emotional wound. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and trying to close. And that was certainly hers. That is a good one. So how did this story, the idea for this story um, develop and come about? This one was really roundabout. I I first started thinking about it back in 2019. I was kind of wondering if I might one day do a sequel to Two Can Keep a Secret, which I have since decided I will never do because I don't want to undo the ending. But I was wondering, well, could Ezra, her twin brother, be a great main character? And what would he do? Oh, maybe he'd work at a radio station and there would be a true crime podcast and they would be investigating a cold case. Um, And none of that was a good idea, except for the mystery in the cold case that I thought of while I was brainstorming. I thought, that's actually good. You know, I'm just going to put this off to the side and I'm going to come back to that. And I went back to it after I turned in, you'll be the death of me because I owed another book. I was like, okay, (laughs) what have we got in the vault? And I thought, you know, what would be good here is if I had two characters who were on the opposite side of this cold case. You know, if one of them was a witness and the other one was investigating it, that could be really interesting conflict. So then it really started to take shape. And I do absolutely love that aspect. And since we're here, I'll just ask you about that now because um, I did want to talk about that. Because so we have Bryn and Trip. you know, like you said, Bryn is on the outside of it because she's looking at it from a journalistic perspective and trying to solve the mystery of what happened and how her teacher was murdered. 
But Trip was one of the three students who found the body. So he's got this like insider's perspective and they're both very strong characters. And so we have, you know, the different chapters done and their different points of view. So what was it like writing these two characters? I mean, with their completely separate points of view, one with an insider's and one with an outsider's perspective. Well, you know, it's funny because I feel like they are such strong characters and the book wouldn't work without them, but they weren't there originally. Um, My initial brainstorm, it was two totally different characters, two girls, and and it was like a bad blood Taylor Swift kind of relationship, (laughs) like a former friendship gone bad. And I actually think that's a great dynamic, um, especially Mm -hmm. in a thriller. But the characters just didn't work. They were flat. Um, I mean, the book was flat and I didn't know why. So I tried lots of different things. And one of the things I tried was swapping out the characters. And first I did it with like some characters from a different book just to see how the energy felt. And I thought, okay, yeah, that's better. But I obviously can't use these people. So who can (laughs) I use? Um, and then I built these two up and just changed their dynamic. You know, they are former friends, but there is a romantic element as well, which yeah. wasn't there um, between the two original characters. Um, and it's one of those dynamics where, you know, the friendship changed right before Bryn left. Trip like iced her out shortly, you know, before he found Mr. Larkin's body. And she never knew why. Um, and, and now she really resents him for that. You know, she's still hurt about that. Um, he. Meanwhile, he's, you know, sort of a scholarship kid, um, has kind of a tough home life. But the two kids that he found the body with are sort of like the elite of St. Ambrose. They're very wealthy, very privileged students. Um, And once these three went through this experience together, he just kind of got brought into their group. And now he, too, is one of the elites at St. Ambrose, even though his home situation is very different from theirs. And, you know, Tripp is an unreliable narrator. We learned that pretty early. You know, he it says it on the back of the book. He lied about everything that happened that day. But what we don't know is why he lied um, until much later in the book. Right. And both Bryn and Tripp have really gone through some kind of traumatic experiences. So talk to me about what it was like with writing such strong characters who have a difficult background and kind of keeping it, you know, truthful and relatable too for your readers, because a lot of the readers, you know, will also have traumatic backgrounds and may have gone through some similar things as well. Yeah, you know, I think every character needs, you know, something that that has hurt them, I think, to um, especially in a thriller, because you're dealing often with darker topics and your characters, I think, need to be able to relate to the case, to what's happening. You know, there needs to be something in their life that, you know, a secret um, or situation that's causing them pain that they want to solve. And that helps propel them forward in the mystery. And, you know, Brin's is, is the aforementioned prank. Um, and, and that hurts her, you know, that hurts her professionally, but it also hurts her personally because she's from a family of overachievers. Um, she always struggled to figure out what her thing was. And this was her thing. Um, and so to be embarrassed for her thing, to not be taken seriously, it makes her question her whole place in the world. And I think that's something a lot of teens, a lot of adults can relate to. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we really do define ourselves by by the thing that we do best, you know, that thing that we love. Um, and when that thing is suddenly on shaky ground, it feels like everything is on shaky ground. Mm-hmm. Um, Trip is, <laughs> he was... He was easy to write and he was hard to write because he just has a lot going on in his home life and with his family. And, you know, whenever I write, I always say, like, if I don't cry at some point when I'm writing, I feel like I'm not doing my job because I haven't gotten (laughs) to the 
heart of the story. And I cried a lot in trip sections, especially when he's dealing with his parents. There was a lot of emotion there. You know, it's not always bad. Like there is there's some positive parental yeah. stuff going on, but it's it's very hard. And he's been very traumatized for years and he has never dealt with that. And he has to suddenly deal with it now because Bryn is pulling it all out into the surface. Of course, you know, she he's she comes pops back into his life after all this time. And then is like, here, let me pull you into this traumatic experience and make things even worse now. Well, <laughs> you know? mind the worst experience of your life for television, you know, right? doesn't want that. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other aspect of it, too, is they're, you know, exploring this and trying to figure out who killed the teacher. But there's also is this element of it's for, you know, she's working for a TV show that might pick it up this crime series. Did you have to do uh, any research like on TV crime shows for this book? Yeah, I did a lot. It was it was all secondary research. I was actually thinking about trying to find if I knew a producer, you know, or I could find somebody to talk to who actually worked on a show. But there's so many great great interviews and articles um, from people that I just, you know, consumed. And I felt like, you know, for the kind of show that I wanted to create, which isn't, you know, I was trying not to make it a copycat of anything that was out there. I felt like that was kind of a really good foundation, especially in terms of how you choose a story. And a lot of uh, some of the most interesting stuff I read was, you know, kind of the relatability of the story. You know, mm -hmm. will will the audience be able to feel connected? to the story that you're telling. And that, as it turns out, is kind of a problem with Mr. Larkin because, you know, one of the executives calls him a void. He seems to have no family. He seems to have no friends. And this is shocking to Bryn because as a 13-year-old, she doesn't think about her teacher having an outside life. Like, he's there right. to teach her. You know? <laughs> she would have just assumed he had all those things and she's surprised that he didn't. Um, you know, but as her boss says, well, isn't that a story in itself? Um, why didn't he? And that's an interesting question. It leads them to some interesting discoveries. It does. There's so much that happens in this story, which I love um, because so we have like the main plot line, of course, of them trying to figure out who killed Mr. Larkin. But there are also a bunch of different subplot, subplots that happen yeah. as well. Um, so talk to me about how, you know, when you're writing, how you're able to balance, you know, having your subplots, your side stories here, whether it's with their family life or the trauma that they've experienced, you know, along with kind of this main plot line as well, and kind of keep that straight, but intertwine them also. Yeah, every time I start writing or I start outlining, I say to myself, this time I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to have one mystery and that will be it. Uh, and I never, ever stick to that because I start <laughs> thinking, oh, but, you know, this secondary character is pretty interesting. What if we gave them a little secret? Um, or, you know, sure, we, we have our big reveal, but how do I make sure that people feel invested and excited? Um, I need some little reveals to go along the way. And before I know it, I have like six subplots and you know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. And then trying to make them all fit together is that's, I mean, it's very fun, but when I look back on it, I think, why did I do that? That was very, um, I could have just told a really straightforward mystery and left all that stuff out, maybe. But it's just kind of not how my brain works. Um, 
So that's not ever what I do. So I, I have like, you know, an outline I have. I don't have like a visual chart, but I have all kinds of like lists of things that need to happen. It's like character beat, mystery beat, red herring, you know, all these different mm-hmm. things need to be intertwined. And hopefully they all come together at the end. But I know at some point it probably feels like, where is she going with all of this? <laughs> it is a lot. But at the same time, like as the reader, I liked it because, I mean, I mm-hmm. like having the main you know murder mystery plot but it is also really nice to have these little subplots too along the side and other little things to follow because it does you know get you more invested in the characters and who they are um I mean for me it could also be partially because I have a background in theater and so I'm always yeah. like you know I've uh, character driven you know like yeah. who is this character and what are they about you know because that's what we do in acting um and so you know that's something that I really enjoy personally and so I I love all the subplots that come along with it I think it's fantastic yeah even <laughs> you know Bryn's sister Ellie who's a very mm-hmm. positive character you know you're meant to trust Ellie she's great she's comic relief sometimes she's got a secret and it doesn't seem important but it actually is pretty important to the plot once we figure out what Ellie has been up to so that kind of thing is fun to weave in what would you say is the most challenging part of writing like a murder mystery or thriller like these because you've got to be able to you know keep the reader on your their toes while they're reading and you don't want them to be to figure out the mystery too soon and you know there's like dropping clues though but misdirection so what's the most challenging part for you I think, you know, my problem is I get about halfway through in a draft and I decide that everything is completely obvious and a kindergartner could figure it out, you know, because I'm so close to it at that point. So I start making the clues incredibly subtle and hard to find. And I do this every time, even though inevitably when I turn it into my agent, she's like, that came out of nowhere. And I'm like, (laughs) I know, but people will guess if it didn't. And she said, let's dial that back a little bit. And I really do have to kind of undo some of the things I did that make it, it, it makes it feel like you couldn't solve it on your own. And that's not, I think, a fun experience for a lot of readers. Some readers might prefer it, but you know, the gradual building of the suspect is something that I have to layer in later because I always like peel it out and try to make it super hard to figure out who it is. And it just isn't a good reading experience for a lot of people. So that's the hardest thing for me is I become convinced at some point that anyone can solve this and I have to make it impossible to solve. And then I have to undo all of that. (laughs) Oh, man. Were you, when you wrote this book, or even maybe if this has happened, tell me if this has happened with some of your other books too. You, do you, had, did you start it with like, okay, this is the person who is going to be it. This is who committed the murder, but then maybe partway through go, Ooh, this character is developing a little different. I don't know if they did it. Maybe this person did it instead. Have you ever like had that experience? That's happened twice. It happened with two can keep a secret and it happened with nothing more to tell. Actually, there's a, whole other character who was gonna do it in my original outline and I even wrote like almost to the end of that uh, and I think it could have worked but tonally it was very different and it ultimately was not the tone I wanted for the book but yeah yeah about part way through I thought well this person is really developing into like a little more than I thought and I think that could work 
Um, yeah, it's always interesting when you surprise yourself that way, especially mm-hmm. with the mystery, because you do need to have it so tightly plotted to plant all the elements you need to plant. And if you decide to go in a different direction, you have a lot of digging up to do. Yeah. Planting. <laughs> Got to go back and fix and change a lot of things. Yeah. With Okay, with this book, I loved the ending of it because it has like when we get the reveal of the person who it is who kills Mr. Larkin, it almost has this very like Perry Mason-esque kind of like reveal to it. And even that there's this British TV show, crime show that I watch. I don't remember death in paradise where he does this too. And it's like, you know, they gather everybody together and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you did this and this, you know, they just like list out the whole thing, you know? And so I know that you did this because of this and this, you know, they try to get them to admit it. Yeah. So is that, I was curious, I would have, obviously it takes a lot of plotting ahead of time to do this. I don't envision a writer being able to be a pantser and write this kind of story. (laughs) Um, But I'm wondering if you like write, wrote out the last bit there first, like that whole like ending where she's confronting the killer or is it just like you planned, okay, this is who it is. Obviously you said you switched partway through and then kind of come back and write that later. Yeah, I'm a very linear writer. So I write, you know, chapter by chapter. That's what I do. So I had an idea in my head of what I wanted the scene to be like. And, you know, what I wanted for the end of this book was I wanted a little previous reveal where we almost think it's someone else, you know, who was a pretty solid red herring, I thought. Um, (laughs) And we're not sure it's not that person, you know, Mm -hmm. but we're also not sure it is. Um, But then we got Brent, who is a much better journalist than she had gotten credit for in a previous life. And she has really thought this through. She has unearthed some evidence that only she could find. And, you know, that's sometimes the really fun thing about writing teens is they're not police officers, you know, mm-hmm. they can't get a warrant <laughs> and have to search for stuff, but they know their friends, you know, um, they know how to find information about one another. And she finds something very interesting um, that sends her in a new direction. And she ultimately, you know, confronts somebody. Um, that person isn't going to admit what they did. But uh, so some people might think the end is unresolved, but it's not. Britt is right. You know? Oh, yeah. And uh, she's, she's going to get her person. She just can't <laughs> get them right then because she's a teenage girl. <laughs> right. But yeah, she, uh, she's right. You know, she she guessed right. And there was some, you know, physical, emotional responses from <laughs> the other side of the conversation that hopefully makes it clear to the viewer that, yeah, she nailed it. Um, but, you know, it's a cold case. A lot of circumstantial stuff. She's going to need her internship to uh, to help her. <laughs> Definitely, and I. It is very clear from a reader's perspective that you know that person did it. <laughs> I can tell you Good, that because you know every once in a while I get someone asking me like, "Oh, I can't. I need to know who did it." At the end of nothing more to tell, I was like, "Really? I thought I was very clear about that." But okay, <laughs> you know, some readers really do want you to spell it out so there's Mm -hmm. no uncertainty and I am not often that kind of writer so sometimes I can frustrate people (laughs) at the end when they just want to be a hundred percent (laughs) sure well I thought it was very clear so I will say that (laughs) do you so you have another book coming out next year one of us is back is that going to be the 
final book in your One of Us is Lying series, do you think? I mean, that's my intent. Yeah, I would say it absolutely closes the Bayview High story. It closes the mystery of Simon's death because it... It was really interesting how this one came about because it is based off a plot thread that I had to edit out of One of Us is Lying because it was very distracting. But it explained the motivation of one of the antagonists. And I always felt like the story was not complete without knowing why this character went to the lengths that they did. Even though I tried to make them the kind of person who would do that, there was a whole, in my head, there's a whole other story that explains it so much better. (laughs) Um, So I started thinking about that and thinking, is there a whole story there? You know, could I tell a whole story? And I decided that I could. And so for me, telling this piece of the story, that just finishes what Simon started which is not to say I might not revisit the characters you know, in a different <laughs> kind of way, but it won't be, you know, related to that original story. Okay. Well, good. Do you have anything else like on the back burner kind of coming up after that one? Yeah. I mean, I have um, a, a second book in the one of us is back contract, you know, so I have two books due with my publisher um, and that one's going to be a standalone and I'm working on it right now. Um, and I hope that it will come out in 2024. So we'll just keep that one a year schedule <laughs> the next couple of years anyway. Then I'm probably going to take a little break and take a nap or something. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, one more question too, while I'm thinking of this along, along those same lines, like with that. So for with one of us is lying, because I know sometimes authors are very much involved in the production when something gets made into a TV show or a movie, but sometimes maybe you don't have the time to do that because of other projects. So you have to maybe take a little bit of a step back for one of us is lying. Which was it for you? Have you been able, were you able to be involved, involved with the production of that, with the TV show? Mm, To an extent, but I was um, a consultant, which essentially means I really didn't have a say (laughs) in anything. Like they would show me stuff, but I wasn't an executive producer. I wasn't involved in like setting the strategy for how to translate the show from book to screen. I did have the opportunity to review scripts and provide feedback. But, you know, I tell people it's kind of like if somebody bakes a cake and then they ask for your opinion on the frosting. (laughs) still sort of impact the flavor and the appearance of that cake at that point, but you are not fundamentally changing the cake. It is baked. Um, You know, and that was what I agreed to. I didn't even think I wanted a bigger role, but as it turns out, having been through the process, if I were to do it again, I would do it with a more upfront role. I would like to be in the room when the cake is made. And I do actually have another book in development. Um, very early stages, but I'm an executive producer for that. So that's been satisfying, but it's also time consuming. And that's Mm -hmm. like the trade-off, you know, is, um, it's great to, uh, influence, um, early, but it's also just kind of like writing another book in some ways, just from the time that you have to put into it. So it's just challenging. I couldn't do more than one. So I'm, I'm not you know, <laughs> just doing the one and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, that's good. That's really exciting, though, that you've got another one that's being worked on. That's awesome. 
Well, I just want to say um, thank you again for coming on and chatting with me today. And for all of my listeners, if, if you have not yet read Nothing More to Tell, I highly recommend this book. It is fantastic and you will really enjoy it. Um, thank you so much, Karen, for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And thank you to all of my listeners. And we will chat again soon. Today's episode featured the book, Nothing More to Tell by Karen M. McManus. A special thank you to Karen herself for coming on the podcast today and chatting with me. And I'd also like to thank Kathy Dunn at Random House Children's Books for setting up the interview. Be sure to follow YA Book Chat on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can get your episodes as soon as they are available. And don't forget to check out the YA Book Chat Patreon. There are plenty of benefits at each level. YA Book Chat was created by, is hosted, and edited by me, Leah Stuller.